Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about empowering students for success. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Layla Kubesh. Layla is the founder of Parents to Partners, a nonprofit that aspires to promote a greater cultural understanding and educational support for families, educators, and students in order to achieve better learning outcomes and greater success. She won the Audience Choice Award for her TEDx talk in Cincinnati, and in 2020, she was awarded as Teacher of the Year in Ohio and the National Toyota Family Teacher of the Year. You can learn more about Layla and her nonprofit at her website, parentstopartners.org, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Layla. I'm so glad you could join with me today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very honored. Oh, I am honored because... You are amazing. I think to be honored as Teacher of the Year at any time is an absolutely incredible accomplishment. But the year 2020 was on that. And as we know, 2020 was not an easy year for educators anywhere. So how on earth did you find ways to be able to engage with your students and with your families to make it a successful school year when everyone was just really doing their best and hanging on with their their claws? I mean, it was hard. It was to, uh, for me, I actually, last year, we, my district started out in person when all the other districts were remote and I was petrified. Oh. In addition to that, one colleague left the district at the high school. And so I was tasked to teach all the, my students at the middle school and the high school students. For me, the way to put my mind at ease, I decided to honor my fear and worked on ways to be able to make it through. I actually started the school year wearing scrubs goggles and a mask and I would not take the mask off. Just go with it. This is the way we're playing. And then I really wondered how am I going to be able to connect with my new students when I'm wearing a mask, they don't see me and I'm not going to see them. And on top of that, we had to put the plexiglass. So I had a larger, we had larger classes, 30 students per class. And then we had plexiglass around. So it was like, it felt like we were really close face to face. But at the same time, there is this distance. And the way I worked around that before school began, I asked my students, you know, what would you like for the theme of the classroom to be? And they responded with one word, things like um, LGBTQ, um, culture, food. I'm like, how am I going to do that? We're not even allowed to have food in the class. Pac-Man, video game. And so what I did was to take all of their ideas and transform the class into that theme. I made it look like the arcades. Wow. Okay, so now out of all of those suggestions, you picked one. Is that how you did it? Or you did all all of them? Yes, I created a wall, a mural, and I did the Pac-Man uh take what I've done is we, we don't have a lot of funding so I went to the teacher's workroom and I used this paper like bulletin board and laminated it and the face of made large Pac-Man and on each ghost was a logo for something that I was able to cut from the computer like when I you go to Google 
images. So you have like Black Lives Matter. Another one will be like the uh, rainbow flag or something. Just so each, uh, so that was the wall. But around the desk, when I had the plexiglass, also around the desk, I covered it in a colorful uh, paper that was laminated to make it look like each desk was the arcade. And then students brought in things like uh, this we put in LED light around the classroom on the wall by the ceiling. We have put in, decorated it with old remote. And so they brought in things and we were able to connect knowing that all of their ideas mattered to me, that I would listen to suggestions. That is incredible. And that was the message as you're explaining this that I was picking up. It's that, wow, I gave my input and then something happened. She listened to me and she thinks that what I, what I care about matters. And that is the message that I'm getting. And one of the things that I think is so amazing about you is you don't just care about the students in the classroom setting, but you care about the students wherever they are. And I read about your tour of going to visit the homes of your students, particularly those who who didn't speak English or, or were learning English as a second language. And, and getting to understand the culture and the situations and their backgrounds. And that impressed me so, so, so much. Would you share a little bit about that experience and what you learned from that? The reason I was inspired to visit the homes of the students, well, for one, is I'm North African. And a lot of people think I'm Hispanic. And a lot of people come to me and goes, Leila, I want to practice Spanish with you. I'm like, I, I don't speak it. Like, you're very funny. Like, I, I, I don't. And they say, we should become a comedian. So <laughs> I learned Spanish. Like, wow, well, I might as well get to know about my people. Like, you're adopted um, people. <laughs> I studied in New Mexico, studied in Guatemala, and I fell in love with the people, fell in love with the culture, and I felt like I was really uh, welcomed as part of them. And I learned Spanish. Actually, originally, I used to teach Japanese when I was back in Indiana. And so when I came here to Ohio, I, you know, you know I had, I, I studied Spanish and then got my certification. And so I don't really share the culture of anyone in my classroom doesn't matter who, when I teach ESL, I teach Spanish to English speakers. And for me, it was a way to learn about my students and learn about my challenges. Several years ago, I used to not always do that, but several years ago, I was teaching as a, at another district as a 9th through 12th grade. And in the morning, some students would come to me and they would be crying. And, you know, these are like big kids, you're like tall kids, six feet four. They were athletes. They were in football. And I did not understand why. And they would say, well, we're aging up. I'm like, these are very strange people. In the U.S., I think people are really worried about their age. But then it turned out that is not what they were talking about because I never see these kids again. What I learned later on is that these children or these students were in foster care and in Ohio these children when they turned 18 back then when they turned 18 they were emancipated and they became homeless and when I found out I was devastated because one of those students passed away and I felt like had I known I would have taken that kid home or all those kids home buy them time until they graduate high school and I had that 
terrible feeling. It's that lack of knowing. What can I do so I know? Because one of the things with children, I noticed vulnerable community members, they will never tell you what they need because they assume that everybody knows or they assume that it's a common. For me, I grew up in poverty and I thought everybody looked like that. I didn't even know it was poverty because that was my environment. That is you know, the first time I had a new outfit, I was 18 years old, everything was used, everything was old. I did not know differently. And so for me, I realized that's what that kids is like that. They, you know, being around the other foster kids, being in, in the streets, it became to them a very normal thing. And I realized when I was trying to get the law in Ohio to change, when I talked talk about a lot to talk to other community leaders, they would say, yeah, that's an unfortunate thing. And that really upset mm. me. Like, and to me, that is an unfortunate thing. It's like I'm distancing myself from that. We or like we became so um, incensed to it. Like it's an acceptable thing like that. For me, I feel like before we can change anything, the first thing we need to do is to change our language. That that is not okay. And so for me, how can I change my language? And I felt like I need to connect with these students, not get to know them. You will never know everything about a student from behind their desk, being in the front of the classroom. Right. And I had to find a way to get to know them. And, you know, when we have parent-teacher conferences, it, the turnout is very low, mm -hmm. middle or high school especially. Well, what can I do? And so I thought, all right, well, I can... Or write a letter to the parents and tell them that I'm visiting their homes and I learned that the kids get scared. They don't want you to connect with their parents because it told me every time my our parents come to school we get in trouble. You know, oh, the teacher says yeah. all kinds of things and we get in trouble. I'm like, okay. That was a great feedback. And I assured them that I will say only good things. I'm like, yeah, they were they trusted me, but they felt like, no, no, it just can't be. We, we do things, you know, we get in trouble. You know what we do. And so what I did was to create skits in the classroom and pretend that it was me coming to their home and they had to pretend to be the, the student, obviously, and, and then or and then change and be the parent and introduce me. And what I learned from that, I get to know who's going to be home, how to pronounce their names. And for my students, they thought that was such a bizarre class activity. They would go home and talk about it. So by the time I visited their homes, it was the most natural thing. It felt very normal. And when I visit, I do keep my promise. I will say nothing. I have only good things, you know. It's The mission was for me to get to know about these kids, to know about their strength, so that I can incorporate that in the classroom. That is amazing. And you know, I've, I've just been reading the book of The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and he talks about the power of that role play that you did as an activity in the class to help alleviate the, the anxiety and also the, the trauma that can occur from something that's, that is different than you expected. So what a beautiful, creative tool that you use. And you mentioned that you don't have a lot of budget, and that was something that you could do for free. Yes. So that was amazing. Now, if it's okay, I would like to also go a little bit back. You, you mentioned briefly about the law and about Ohio and about these wonderful foster kids who are aging out and how the age of 18 really is not 
old enough to be able to take care of yourself. And without that support, it does lead to homelessness, to poverty, to a a lot of um, bad life choices because they don't feel like they have any other options. And I am so grateful for people like you who not only changed the language, you didn't just talk the talk, you walked the walk and you helped to be able to um, make sure that the bill was passed to change that law so that the children did not age out until 21. They had that support system. So I, I am applauding you for changing lives. I, I would be interested to see if in future years how that change um, changes statistics as far as homelessness and and rates of, say, uh, prostitution or, you know, jail or, or all these kinds of things when you have that support to be able to have a better foundation before you are on your own. So thank you. And I'm so grateful that that change was made. I, I wish that were changed were everywhere. 18 is too young. I thought about what was I, what was I doing at 18? Yes, I, I, I was graduating from high school. I moved away to college, but it wasn't on my own. I couldn't have afforded college entirely if I was on my own. You know what I mean? Yes. I really believe in the power of partnership, whether even as, a, as educators, when we share with other colleagues about resources, you know, they always say two heads are better than one. You know, sometimes I don't even need to have someone else fix my issue. Sometimes just talking it out loud, I feel like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. With my students, you know, I felt one day, you know, I felt frustrated with my administrator because I teach foreign language and I wanted to have food last year. And he said, I said, can I bring in food? Because my students suggested it. He goes, absolutely not. And when he said, absolutely, I get so excited. And he goes, not. Oh. So I came to my classroom and I said, I was, you know, and he goes, I really gave Miss Kubesh. I took a deep breath and didn't say anything. And then I said, you know, if you want me to bring food, what are some ways we can do that? And they thought about it and they looked and I'm in the second floor. And they thought, oh, we can bring an extension cord. And they brought an extension cord. I brought my tea kettle on a coldest day. We went outside and we had hot chocolate and we had cookies and we spread, you know, so that we're distant. And we got a break from wearing the mask. It always helps to be with someone else and, and to bounce back ideas, bounce off ideas. And these kids, when you are so alone, or they are so alone, we can't think of even the most, you know, the simplest thing. So it's really important that we connect and we build relationships. And you do make connections and build relationships because even though you are amazing and you truly care, In order to make the changes that are far-reaching, it involves getting parents and community and um, government entities on board. So how are you able to to get this buy-in from your your school and your community to be able to make these changes happen? Well, one of the things I discovered a few years ago when I had the 20th year of my teaching, I left teaching because I felt like teaching full-time, I'm not able to connect with my legislators. And if I I needed to commit to this full-time in order to get this bill to pass. When I left teaching, I realized that I had no network skills. I felt like, I think teachers, we don't have network skills. Wait, what? 
Oh, no, I had none. And the reason for because parents come to us, so we don't go to them when we have parent-teacher conferences. I felt like I didn't have communication skills. I, you know, I go to a meeting to network, and I look and I see how are these people, how do people know each other? I didn't realize you need to introduce yourself. I uh, didn't feel like we need to have a business card. And I was so lost. And I learned, I had to attend many meetings and I felt like the way I can do this, I discover this because I get so early, I'm afraid of getting lost. When I get there early to all these event events or networking meetings, by being there the first, it put my mind at ease because I would greet the people as they're coming in and they probably thought I was part of the event or the event organizer. There were times when I was so early that I was helping the uh People in the catering put things like, I'm so early, I'm an hour early, I was there at seven and the meeting didn't end, you know, didn't start at eight. And developing those skills to introduce to people. And then I found another thing is I could not ask. I could not make the ask. You know, there is a sense of pride of maybe being rejected, asking for things. And then I found that if I have the courage to ask on my on behalf of my students, like, would you please be willing to sign? Like, I'd volunteer for all these different organizations and say, what can we do for you? What can, how can we reciprocate? And like, nah, there's nothing you can do. Because I felt lost. I didn't know what to do. My legislator stood me up. And then I found that just I needed to ask. And if somebody says no, that's okay. Just go on and ask someone else. Not everybody signed the bill. Not everybody was willing to take the time to do that. But I felt like they just need, to me, it meant that I needed to try more, ask more, find ways to spread the word. And that's actually the reason why I did the TEDx talk, because I was so upset one day you know as a teacher I don't wear a suit but I bought a suit and I didn't have the job and I bought a suit and I went to meet to go to my appointment and I went there an hour early an hour later the person didn't call me in but a secretary came out and says yeah I know it's an unfortunate thing and I was really upset I was hurt I was crushed wait you came an hour early and then when it was your appointment they didn't meet you. They sent a representative to say that's an unfortunate situation. Yes, yes. That's Whoa! How and that was uh, was a person in charge of the um, children services, and the the office was in my county. It was in the courthouse on the fourth floor. And I remember when I got out, I that we had four sets, like two sets of elevators on the right, two on the left. But I went straight to the stairs because there was a line on, on all the, in front of all the doors. I was afraid to get into the elevator because I knew I was going to burst into tears. So when I got out, when I went in and closed the door and I was taking down the stairs, I felt like I couldn't even breathe. I felt like, why is it that no one listens to me? Well, no one wants to hear me. Why is it that teachers have no voice? And I realized that I couldn't even breathe, couldn't stand up. And I looked up to say, how many more stairs? And I'm like, oh, I'm coming down the stairs, not going up. And then I told myself, they will hear from me. I really had no idea what I meant by that. And I thought, I said this as a consolation to myself. And suddenly I ran downstairs, went to the parking, parking lot, paid for the ticket, for the exit, for the parking. 
And I drove home and I had no idea how I made it. Like I, it's like, it was a blur because my mind was on something else. And I realized the power of our language from telling myself I had no voice. I could barely come down the stairs to telling myself they will hear from me that I had all this energy. I went home and I sat in front of my computer. I really did not know what to do. And I was looking on Eventbrite. Like, I don't know what that is. And that's when I saw TEDx Cincinnati. They were looking for audition. And I said, the odds of me being on this TEDx, I have greater chance of being hit by lightning. And like, no, 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 no. I just remember when I told myself that I have no voice, I could barely come down the stairs. I needed to change. And I said, how can I succeed and learn how to speak. I went to the library and I checked out 27 books and audiobooks and I couldn't sit still. I felt very agitated from my experience with that day with my meeting. So I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and do the audiobook instead of reading. And I went to the garage and I started organizing the garage and listening to the audio and I was so immersed. And I told myself, I think I can do this. And then I submitted an application for a TEDx. And then that's how I went in. And we were told 112 submitted applications. And there were 15 of us. And they're going to narrow down to five. And then from five, one person will make it. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I felt like if I fail, I would have failed every foster youth in Ohio and probably everyone in the country because Ohio can be a role model for other states. And back then, 26 states had changed it from 20 to 21. And I thought, no, I can't, I cannot think that. So I went to the bathroom and, you know, this was held at a bar and I've never been to a bar and I felt so out of place. I went to the bathroom and I decided to take a deep breath. I'm going to breathe and I need to say something positive. I can do this. I can do this. And a lot of time when I get frustrated or afraid I start thinking oh yeah my English is not my first language it's not my second language it's not my like no why am I saying this how about I memorized presented this so I went to the bathroom and I was going through the whole thing in my head through my speech and then I was it was my turn to speak I was one speaker before the last and I looked at the audience the place was packed and I thought, I don't know if they drunk too much. They had a lot to drink. They look like they were not responsive. And then I saw people with tears. And I'm like, oh, I think I did say the whole thing in English. I think I remembered English. And then a week later, I was told that I won the Audience Choice Award. And that I would be, obviously, I was in to do that. And that's what helped me get the word out, bring awareness about the situation. That is a beautiful children. My message to the audience is whenever you want to do something and make a difference. And for me, I was overwhelmed. And at first, like, I couldn't even get my legislator in my own community, in my little tiny county to hold an appointment for me. How am I going to get anybody to listen? And just like I really said in the talk is sometimes you may want to think bigger. Maybe you don't make a change because I felt like, well, if I can make something at the county level, I can make things at the state level. No, just go ahead and go ahead and straight to the state level because when you think really big, ask the people who have the ability to make a change instead of having to go through all the hoops and having to go through 
people who don't have a capacity to make a difference, then they will serve as gatekeepers. And when you have any challenge, really start being as positive as you can. And there's this little voice in your head that will tell you of all the things you can't like from you. Oh, your English is not good. Your English is this and that. Um, and I remember if you watched the movie Mulan, and there's one line that I love. It says, one grain of rice can tip the scale. And I kept thinking of that. Maybe I can be that grain of rice. If one person make a little difference, maybe it will be a greater difference. And that's what really helped me get through it. That is beautiful. So when I'm listening to your story, some of the messages that I am getting is that it's not the people who are born to do amazing things and then the rest of us. It is a person who has a desire and has the courage to, to try, the courage to be able to be resilient from rejection when things don't turn out the way that you expect, the courage to reach out and do something more, and the courage to dream big. And that gives hope that it's not just the, the people who have stars on Mars and the people who don't, or some people are able to be those change makers, but that from the masses. If we desire, and if we have that courage and take those steps, we can make those changes that we see need to take place. And I think that underlying story is is also beautiful in addition to that amazing changes that you've created in the lives of these youth. So thank you for your example. I really did not think I had the courage just from all the language and all the things that I told myself. But like I said, sometimes we the first thing we begin with is to change the language, change the vocabulary, change what you're telling yourself. And when I felt like I didn't have the courage, that I felt like, well, I do have a goal and I can break it down to two small parts. Start by practicing how to speak, practice you getting, at least get the books, fill out an application online for this talk, and by doing it that way, it takes you, at least you can forget about your anxiety and help you move forward. Like last year where I was forgot, you know, I was overwhelmed by fear about um, be teaching in person during COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to do something else. I like how you talked about the first step is changing your language. And then this time when you said it, you clarified that you're changing your language to yourself. You're changing the way that you talk to yourself, the way that you talk about yourself, the way that you talk. And I think that's huge to be able to recognize that that doesn't mean, oh, I just need a bigger vocabulary. It means I need to change my way of thinking. I need to change that. So that's amazing. So you also do yoga for trauma. And how does that fit in with this whole scenario? I, not a yoga person, actually, not at all, but I saw a lot of um, challenges from these homeless kids, from my own students, and I like to see rapid change. I have taken every trauma-informed training in the state of Ohio outside. I come back to my classroom and I see meltdown in my classroom. And I filled out an application with the Kupalo School of Yoga. I was looking and looking at Google again, like, what can I do? How can I make a difference? 
and I read that there's a this yoga that can help with trauma. And you know, when he said the body keeps a score, yeah, he, he talks about that a lot. My teacher, so uh, he was my teacher, and um, you know, I, I had all these amazing people in my class. So I ended up with almost 500 hours of yoga, and it it helped me put my mind at ease. It helped a lot of the kids in my classroom. Um, it, it made a, a complete turnaround. So sometimes if something does not work, keep trying it, just not trying it in a different way is not going to work. So sometimes you just have to um, try something totally different, completely different. Oh, I like that. Having an open mind. That's another thing that I noticed in his book, um, Dr. Bessel, uh, Vanderkolk's yeah. book, where he, he talks about, okay, look, there's this thing that works, and then there's this way that works, and there's this way that works, and there's this way that works. And so it, it can be, it's not just a one size fits all. It's a look at this wonderful panorama of opportunities and options that we have, and let's find the one that's going to work for your particular situation. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for visiting with me today. I really appreciate your insight and I appreciate you as a person and the things that you have done and who you are. Thank you. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Mahatma Gandhi. He said, if we are to reach real peace in the world, we shall have to begin with the children. Today, I invite you to help our children feel peace and to reach success. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller, You Got This an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.